0: Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today, we have the story of Sergeant Louis van Ursel. Louis van Ursel was a Dutch citizen and... The Netherlands would be neutral during the First World War, and he would travel to the United States in 1917, didn't speak English, but would enlist in the army and immediately turn around and go back to Europe to fight on behalf of the United States during World War One. So there's kind of some cool stories about how he didn't know English, so somebody kind of helped him to pass this test about being able to speak English because they didn't want people in the military that couldn't communicate but also when you're drafting tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, there's going to be mistakes. And I'd say fortunately for the United States, a, a mistake was made to let Louis Van Ursel into the military because he he proved to be quite the asset to his unit, to his fellow soldiers, and to the United States as a whole. Um, he'd get to Europe and would begin fighting um, shortly after arrival. And there's kind of a cool story where he is going toe to toe with a German machine gun nest and he's in a, a shallow ditch. So not as, not as much cover as you'd like to have. And his feet were sticking out a little bit. And eventually the machine gun, um, they jammed or overheated and he got up to run to assault a position, which was often the only chance you had against some of these machine guns, especially in a battle like that, like a rifle against a machine gun. So he gets up and and charges forward to assault this machine gun nest and finds out that his heels have been shot off of his boots. So remember they're sticking up out of there dirt a little bit and the machine gun bullets were, were so close overhead that they ripped his the soles right off his boots so he was so angry that he knocked the German over the head with his rifle and captured the guy and the other one surrendered and then he took one of their boots and kept on going so or took both the boots off one of the uh, one of the German soldiers there but anyways the story of, of Louis Van Ursula he'd be a sergeant at the time of the action we're going to talk about and it would take place on November 9th 1918 now that date isn't in itself important but 2 days later is november 11th 1918 is armistice day fighting stopped the end of world war 1 is 2 days after the action that we're going to talk about and it's it's unique it's interesting i mean we've we've talked about it's just an interesting time because the fighting ceased at that day but the decision was made a little bit Prior to that, not a lot. Prior World War One was unique in that really up until you know the eleventh hour on the eleventh day, of the eleventh month, either side could have won. There, it wasn't necessarily a decisive, well, not necessarily there wasn't a decisive victory on behalf of the the Germans or a decisive victory on behalf of the French and French and British and Americans. It was just a continued stalemate. So there comes a point in 1918 where. You could almost use the term suing for peace, where the Germans are going to send a delegation to speak with the French and with the Allies and talk about how to put an end to this conflict. And the reason they do that is I don't want to say the writings on the wall, because these countries do such a good job of censorship at this time, to include the United States, that it's not really well known how challenging situations are on the home front, but in Germany, they're really, really challenging at this point. I mean, they're, they they started out fighting a two front war, right? They've got Russia on the East and then France and Great Britain and eventually the United States. Well, let's just say France and Great Britain on the West. So they're fighting on two sides. It's draining their country. They're not, they're not, well, they're smaller than Russia. Um, but they don't compare. They're not double triple quadruple the size of, of their enemies. And, and, at some point, the attrition just takes hold. You know, the First World War is just a meat grinder. And, you know, while Germany is is in France, right, when this armistice is signed, Germany has been pushed back. This isn't like World War II where the Allies landed in Normandy and pushed the German army back into Berlin. And then Berlin falls and, bam, you got the surrender of Germany of, uh, of of Nazi Germany that doesn't happen in world war one at the time of the armistice Germany is still holding territory in Belgium in France I mean all across the continent they haven't been pushed back into their borders so it's it's not real clear that this armistice is right around the corner one of the things that kind of pushes it over the edge is going to be the American involvement in the war we often um as Americans like to say that that um, I think we like to take more credit maybe than is due. Our credit is owed to the timing of our joining the war more than anything else. And, you know, to, to overuse the analogy of punch drunk fighters in a bar at, at some point when a new, when somebody new shows up and you're staggering from taking all these punches, you might just not be, it, that person might not even have to be very good. And for a few years, the United, well, not a few years, a few months. And for a few battles, the United States were not good. And we got our teeth kicked in um, on the Western Front. But there was so much manpower, so much equipment, so many resources that Germany just couldn't couldn't take it again. It, it, it wasn't moving in the right direction. So they leaned towards this armistice. And the armistice is going to say that on, at 11 a.m. on November 11th, 1918, the, the hostilities will cease. And then there's a lot of other little parts that um, that tie into that, but essentially the war is going to end at that point. The soldiers don't know that. The officers don't know that. Louis Van Ursel doesn't know that. And it's a challenging part to this story that it's kind of stuck with me of, you can't tell, it, it, it's not signed, it's not agreed upon, so you don't want to tell the soldiers because you have to still win, you still have to win battles and, and, you still have to take territory or defend territory. And, and as soon as you put out information that, hey, we're nearing an end, well, then everything stops. And what if it's not near an end? And then all of a sudden you get – you're on the losing side of some battles. Things change. So it's a, just a nasty part of warfare where wouldn't it have been nice to have tell, told soldiers like Louis Van Ursel and his comrades that day and, and many others, the war is almost over. Maybe maybe slow it down a little bit. I mean, there's reports of upwards of 2,700 people killed on November 11th. The war was over. The war was over. Is ending in a few hours. 2,700 people killed. For what? The terms were already decided. That hurts. That That's a tough one to stomach and uh, and just a nasty little piece to this overall story. But let's dive into Louis Van Erst on what he does on November 9th. Again, remember, he has no idea that the war is 48 hours from being over. No idea. There's a bridge near this uh, near a town in mouzon France. They're trying to cross a river, and there's a bridge that his unit wants to get across to continue to push the Germans back. But they haven't been able to get near the bridge. Every time, they 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 can't even get within eyesight of it, so they haven't really seen it. Because every time they get close, they come under pretty heavy artillery and machine gun fire. So Van Ersel's commander comes up with the idea of, let's take a look at night. Night operations weren't... They were conducted, but it was not super common for large scale offensives in the dead of night. It was very, very risky. So they decide, let's conduct a recon at night. You might have a better chance of getting to the bridge, maybe getting across the bridge. And if you can, Van Erschel's task, if you can, let us know what that bridge looks like and let us know what the defenses look like on the other side. What are we running up against? Classic reconnaissance mission. So Van Erschel grabs a group of soldiers that he gets to pick, some folks he trusts, takes off in the dead of night. Um, makes it all the way to the bank of the river and sees that this bridge has been destroyed. it's it's as you would imagine happens if a bridge is kind of brought down is the term. so it's just rubble in the water. So it's not underwater, it's sitting on the surface, but it's it's destroyed. So he decides he leaves his guys on the on the U.S. side of the river and decides he's going to go ahead and complete the mission. Remember, part of it is, what do the defenses look like? Can we get across? And, you know, maybe you can't take vehicles across this bridge, but you might still be able to move infantry across. And it looks like you can, because as Van Ursel gets up near the site, he sees that although the bridge is down, you can still move across it. And he starts doing that. Dead of night, remember. And He's moving across the bridge, sneaking across the bridge. And there comes a point where there's a gap between almost like two parts of the bridge fell. And there's a gap too far to jump, but there's a wooden plank running between the two. And, and he starts to sneak across that. As he does so, I've seen two sides of this. One says it was a trap door or it was, it was um, designed to trick an American trying to cross. And others, that just say, you're crossing a broken bridge. Things are going to fall apart. Nonetheless, at that center point, Van Ersel falls into the water, splashes, falls into the water, and, and gets swept up against the German side of the bridge. So not the bank yet, but the German side of the rubble that's in the water, if you had to divide it in half, right? You got the German side of rubble and the American side of rubble. So he's closer to the German side than he was, but that splash alerts the defenders and they start firing. They're on, they're on high alert. They're nervous. They're expecting attacks. And- they just open up and there's machine gun bullets laying into the bridge. Remember, that's the only way really across in this area. And, But they didn't see Van Ersel. They heard noises, but they didn't see him. And they still don't see him. So there's machine gun bullets flying all around, but they're not necessarily aimed at him. So they're still impacting all around him, but he's able to take cover and then decides, let's finish this up. So he starts moving forward. Further to the German side and gets up on the shore, kind of underneath the bridge, underneath some embankments, where he's a little bit hidden. And remember, what what ends up being eight German machine gun positions are hammering away at the bridge and the the bank on the far side, the tree line, and you know they're nervous. Where are the enemy going to come from? And and you get carried away a little bit in, in that type of situation, and they're just they're letting loose. So fortunately for Van Ersel, because of that, he's able to see. Hey, there's one, two, three, four, eight machine gun positions lined up on the bank. That was part of his job, right? Recon where the enemy machine gun positions are and he can see them clear as day because they are firing at night. And it's easy to see a weapon system when it's firing at night. Now he's kind of like poking his head up, getting a quick look and coming back down. He's trying to stay undercover. They haven't seen him or it doesn't appear that they've seen him because they're not taking action to like sweep underneath this area and then and they're not necessarily firing at him, but he's got a large group of German soldiers right in front of him that know somebody's out there and that somebody is him. So he's doing his best to stay hidden. He identifies the machine gun nests, takes note of the bridge and the condition and how far apart some of the pillars are and could it be reconstructed and how far above water it is, things like that, all all in memory, just um, kind of registering into his memory but he's so close to the German defenders that he hears them call for an artillery strike. He speaks a little bit of German, which is, has come in handy during his time in the war so far, but he he knows enough to understand that an artillery strike was called for. And he thought, that's it, time to go. So, cover of darkness still, the, the enemy fires kind of slackened. At some point, they realized there wasn't a large American assault coming across the river. And Van Ersel goes back to the water's edge and starts moving across this bridge, sneaking across this bridge again at night Um, as he's doing so, of course this time it can never be easy the Germans fire a flare into the air and and the flare will go up and burst think of it like a a giant lamp and there will be a parachute attached to it and what it does is it it illuminates a, a huge area and as that happens you've got Sergeant van Ursel on this bridge um, trying to make his way precariously trying to make his way across this rubble in the dark and now he's silhouetted for the eight German machine gunners to see and they open up everybody's firing at him there are he ends up he survives makes it back across the river and sprints back to the American lines with countless holes through his through his uh, through his clothing I saw somewhere where it said 30 plus holes ripping through his clothing. So the bullets were there. They just weren't quite making it home. Van Ursel takes that information, relays it to his commander, says, here's how the bridge looks. Here's where the enemy positions are. And by the way, it sounded like they were calling in an artillery strike. With that last tidbit of information, they decide to withdraw the American forces back off of their current position just ahead of that artillery barrage, which likely would have caused... At least a handful of U.S. casualties for that action for for charging across the river, um, forty-eight hours before the war's end, gathering the intelligence, and they they it didn't end up being utilized. I guess it's important to say here as well that the American forces didn't attack that bridge. They didn't charge across. Um, there wasn't any time to right the war was ending. But but where it was utilized is well. There's two reasons it's important. One. He went ahead anyways, and and he had probably five or six different times where he could have said, hey, the bridge is blown, let's go back and report that, or I fell into the river, let's get out of here. I mean, there, time and again, he could have wrapped it up and called it good, but he didn't. He kept pushing forward. But the information about the artillery strike saved American lives, and he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have known that if he hadn't been within earshot of the German defenders looking for this person who is sneaking across the river in the dead of night. He's awarded the Medal of Honor. He comes back to the United States and is granted citizenship. Awesome story. So he served the entire war as a Dutch citizen, does this as a Dutch citizen, comes back as awarded citizenship, and um, gets married and settles in California and then the then World War II breaks out. And and this is something that I always think is incredible. You have you have so many people that have valid justifications for not going to do something else right um when you hear of john bass a great example he did his part in at guadalcanal but and he could have his war was over he was told his war was over and he said no i gotta go gotta go back the nation calls duty calls my, my, my guys call and he went back to fight after being awarded the medal of honor went back to fight on Iwo Jima to die there and those are things that really are uh stand out to me when people have the opportunity or uh, absolutely have the opportunity to do something else. You don't have to do this again. And they do anyways. In 1943, Louis Ursel would uh, enlist in the United States Marine Corps for World War II. And he would go on to see action in the Bougainville campaign in the Pacific theater. So certainly didn't have to do that. And again, um, not an Amer- not born an American citizen, born a Dutch citizen, comes to the United States, Fights for the U.S. in World War I, earns his citizenship, awarded the Medal of Honor, and then says, I'll do it one more time, and goes off to the Pacific to fight the Japanese during the Second World War. He survives that as well, and would pass away in 1987 at the age of 93. But pretty cool story of uh, Sergeant Louis Van Ursel in the First World War, awarded the Medal of Honor for saving American lives 48 hours before the end of the war. <music>